to be? Or not to be? That, that is, is the, the question. question. In 1964, Malcolm X came to Oxford University to give a speech about resistance to oppression. I, I read once, passingly, about a man named Shakespeare. I only read about him passingly, passingly but I remember one thing he wrote that kind of moved me. Uh, he put it in the mouth of Hamlet, I think it was, who said, to be or not to be. He used Hamlet's famous soliloquy as the culmination of his own speech, encapsulating his core political belief. Whether it was nobler in the mind of man to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, moderation, or to take up arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing, end them. And I go for that. If you take up arms, you'll end it. But if you sit around and wait for the one who's, who's in power to make up his mind that he should end it, you'll be waiting a long time. And I, for one, will join in with anyone, don't care what color you are, as long as you want to change this miserable condition that exists on this earth. Thank you. For centuries, Hamlet's soliloquy has been a call to arms and a political inspiration. These are the sounds of the Arab Spring of 2011, when hundreds of thousands of ordinary people rose up against oppression and injustice. Shakespearean scholar Professor Margaret Litvin has searched Twitter feeds of the time, and there it is again, being used as a rallying call more than 400 years after it was first written down. So there's a protester in Tahrir, in Tahrir Square, summer of 2011, with a poster that says, to be or not to be, but we will be. In this episode, we'll see how Hamlet's speech has been taken up around the world, not as an examination of personal questions of suicide and becoming, but as a political inspiration. So yeah, when there's a movement, there is Hamlet and there is to be or not to be. I just grabbed these examples because they're written in English and they're easy to see. We're going to start by looking at a big budget Indian film of 2014 called Haida, which adapted the speech in a number of imaginative and different ways. The film looks at the traumas and the horrors of Kashmir, the disputed territory fought over by India and Pakistan. It's a conflict which has seen 40,000 deaths and countless human rights abuses. When I met the filmmaker, he was not sure whether he wants to do King Lear or Hamlet, but he wanted to go to Kashmir and do something there. The film's co-writer, Basharat Peer, is an author and investigative journalist. When he met Indian director Vishal Bhardwaj, he was certain how the film should be made. This was my first meeting and it was kind of this instinctive, it just came from the gut. I could just see Hamlet as uh, mirroring Kashmir. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. I mean, I could just see the darkness of the play and of a troubled young man and, and an unjust murder. And Kashmir is a place of many unjust murders of, of bodies striven around throughout the 30 years of a long, brutal conflict. And in a way, Kashmir itself is Hamlet, torn between India and Pakistan, torn between submission or fighting the for, for fighting the fortune you know it it just felt so true it just felt so real I mean, it was while we were finishing a cup of coffee i was insisting that we do hamlet and not king lear to kind of reflect the tragedy of kashmir 
In the film, Haider is a student who returns to Kashmir to find that his father, a humanitarian doctor, has been arrested by the state and has disappeared into its prison system. In a pivotal scene, he stands before a crowd outside the UN building and gives a version of the speech. To be is translated as to exist. Do we exist or not? If we do, then who are we? And if we don't, then where are we? I mean, it is a play on to be or not to be. What, what you're tapping into here is the, is the dark phenomenon of enforced disappearances as they were in Latin America, in Sri Lanka. There were about 8,000 people who were taken away by the military and the police in Kashmir and who were disappeared. So every week you would have the families of the disappeared people sit in a park near the UN building and protest and, you know, try to ask, like, where are our family members? Where's my dad? Where is my brother? Where is my husband? And it was one of the moments where I wanted to riff on the soliloquy. So in Urdu, it's it's actually quite poetic because... And he says, ki hum hain, ki hum nahi. Hum hain, ki hain nahi. Do we even exist? Do we even live? We are unsure of our own existence as you have disappeared my father, of whose existence I know not. There is no knowledge whether those people are alive or dead. And that renders me also in this kind of zone between being alive and dead with no knowledge of my father. So that was a riff on to be and not to be there. But then, you know, we, we used it in many other places. Later, Haider learns his father has been executed and he's told he was betrayed to the state by his uncle. In an intimate scene with his lover, he says, <laughs> It translates as to believe or not to believe. That is the question. That scene where he talks intimately to his beloved about his deepest, darkest doubts and his confusions, his, his, his own, his state of being torn between, is it true that my uncle got my father killed or killed my father? Or is that a lie? Am I, am I taking the right call here? You know, it is, it is that state of being torn. Haider then says, To kill or to die, to be or not to be. It's one of the most important questions at the heart of Hamlet's soliloquy. Should we address violent injustice by being violent ourselves? And if we do, do we risk our own destruction? I mean, we all kind of all societies and political moments, you, you struggle with these questions. Has armed conflict worked? Has armed politics worked? Has violent politics worked? Has nonviolent politics worked? There is no one answer. I mean, I personally prefer writing because that's pretty much what I can do. We are also living in a world which has become increasingly authoritarian. Some are violent, some are nonviolent. And societies are struggling to answer those questions and people are choosing different parts and 
in some ways that struggle also comes in the dialogue between that the dialogue that hamlet has with himself in the arabic speaking world to be or not to be is so famous it's become a cliche margaret litvin again when i knew that we would be having this conversation i looked at the news and i just um did a google search of the news in arabic for nakun ola nakun um, and I found it was being used with reference to coronavirus. You know, this is a to be or not to be moment for us, and we have to decide to take action to stop this virus from spreading through our society. Uh, you also find soccer commentators saying this is a to be or not to be football match. Because of the way grammar works in Arabic, translators have to make a choice on how to render the phrase. Arabic has no infinitive. So you have to say who is be who's doing the being. And so usually in stage traditions, it's translated as shall I be for stage productions when you have one man standing on the stage saying it about himself and his own life. Uh, but in political rhetoric, where this has become a very common cliche, it is usually translated shall we be or not be. You find all kinds of figures across the political spectrum um, using this be it from the left or the religious right, you know, the question my fellow Muslims is, shall we be or not be? Remarkably, to be or not to be is one of the most quoted lines in all of Arabic political literature after the Quran. And Margaret has many more examples of the phrase being used as a call to arms in conflict. The one on the right is very faint. I don't know if you can see the graffiti, but it's... Um, in 2005, when the Lebanese were kicking out the long-time Syrian occupation of Lebanon, and again, it says, to be or not to be, now is the time. So yeah, when there's a movement, there is Hamlet, and there is to be or not to be. For Margaret, the adaptability of the speech is a result of the instability of Shakespeare's writing. I, I think that is why Hamlet is such rich terrain for all kinds of adapters, is that it is fundamentally incoherent. I think that's why 400 years of critics have broken their heads on it. And so you don't really know. Who takes arms against the sea? Anyway, what a terrible idea. You'll just drown in your arms with you. The speech has been appropriated for political purposes for centuries. The Russian revolutionary Victor Serge wrote, to be or not to be for the men of our age means free will or servitude, and they have only to choose. Golden Meir, the Prime Minister of Israel, said, To be or not to be is not a question of compromise. Either you be or you don't be. The current President of China claimed it was reading Hamlet's soliloquy which persuaded him to become a politician. And even Adolf Hitler used it in Mein Kampf as a question of the future existence of Germany. Although it's been used for many purposes, the speech continues to have a powerful resonance as a vehicle of protest and subversion, most recently in cinema. Wherever you look and whatever country you turn to, whatever culture, nation, state or point in history, Hamlet is a play that directors want to cut their teeth on cinematically. This is Professor Mark Burnett. He's written a remarkable book which collects together examples of Hamlet adapted into films in India, Germany, Iran, Brazil, Japan, China, Russia and Ghana. He found the global fame of the speech often opened doors for him. When I was going to speak in Iran, I needed a, um, a visa and I uh, went to the Iranian 
embassy, the official asked me a, a lot of questions about my visit and I was very keen to make a good impression. I said, well, I was speaking at a Shakespeare conference and told him what my paper was going to be about. And he motioned me a little bit closer so that I had to meet his gaze across the glass. And he, he said, to be or not to be before whipping away my passport for visa accreditation. So the, the, the magic of the Shakespearean words seemed to have been effective on that occasion. Professor Burnett found that among other uses, Hamlet has been adapted by filmmakers around the globe as a way of evading censorship. Through a 400-year-old play, they're able to explore contemporary, subversive themes. One of the reasons why the play continues to, to resurface is, is, of course, it is about political change. It's about regime change. It's about the end of one order and the beginning of another order. And in conditions where it's difficult to speak openly, politically, the play becomes a great resource. Cultures can contemplate their own political instabilities and pasts of regime change or hopes and aspirations for future regime change, political change, by having the play staged and interpreted. For me, one of the really charged aspects of this soliloquy is how often it has been repurposed uh, in world cinema to contemplate the, 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 the possibility of rebellion, reaction, protest, political interve intervention, querying, questioning, interrogation. It's in those senses that the speech as an intervention, as a, a plea for change and action uh, works most powerfully. I think that's the richness of to be or not to be because it can embrace so many worlds of alternatives do you belong to the world or do you not belong to the world? And if you're part of the world, what kind of attitude are you going to take towards it? Are you going to uh, you know, resist uh, and interrogate or are you going to go with the, the political flow? To be or not to be has an emotional impact at so many levels and audiences, I think, take from it meanings that resonate with their own preoccupations. In that sense, these films are owning Shakespeare. They're demonstrating that you know, for all his seeming Western distance, local concerns and local practices can speak through the play and uh, take, take that play as their own. This podcast was produced during the coronavirus lockdown and the contributors all agreed to take part because they wanted to raise awareness for theatres and for actors in a time of crisis, of pandemic, of lockdowns and social distancing. If you want to help, theatres like The Globe have donation pages you can visit and there are special fundraisers set up during lockdown, details of which can be found on the podcast website. Finally, special thanks go to Emma Fielding and Simon Paisley Day, who recorded versions of the speech at home during lockdown. And thanks too to Chris Dyer, Paul Sem and Hannah Fiore for their invaluable help and support. Soft you now, the fair Ophelia. Nymph in thy orisons, be all my sins remembered. <laughs>